Good morning. This morning we're going to be in First Chronicles, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We'll be in 18, 19, and 20. And we'll get praying before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning that we're able to come together and worship. Uh, a lot of people out with the flu and not feeling well, and we pray for them that they'd feel better and um, get back up on their feet again. But so nice to be able to come together and worship you and um, sing songs together and hear your word together and sit at your feet and um, to be refreshed. And so we pray for that time of refreshing that comes from being in your presence. And uh, we just pray that um, for those that are watching online, that they'd have that moment with you also and uh, that you'd bless them in Jesus name. Amen. David's done it right so far, uh, moving the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem for worship and having a wonderful day of worship and thinking, maybe I'll build God a house. And God says, you can't build me a house, but I'll build you a house. And just a wonderful love fest, you know, going on between him and the Lord. And, and that's how it really has to start for all of us in order for 18, 19, and 20 to happen. Because in these next three chapters, David has... Uh, just tremendous success um, in battle, in war. And for all of us as we battle, whether that's our own uh, sin or whether that's the world or um, the devil or whatever is coming against us, in order for us to have that success, in order for us to win, God needs to be with us. And primarily we need to be with him. And that's the beauty of what's happened here. Just give us a wonderful blueprint that I don't think um, well, I know you can't. You can't bypass it. It's a. It's the. It's. It is the building blocks for a walk with the Lord, and it's going to go great for a while. And of course, it doesn't always stay that way. Um, some of the guys that are with David later on in their life are are not going to maintain this current heart that they have for David and for the nation of Israel and for God. They're going to get distracted by different things. They're going to challenge and question and. They're going to fall off the map, to be honest with you. And that's a little, uh, well, discouraging to read or to think about as we read through these wonderful chapters to know that it's not going to last. But um, that doesn't mean that you don't study the, the good chapters. Um, and I say that because we're going to have good days and bad days also, but it doesn't mean I don't celebrate the good days. It doesn't mean I don't um, remember why those were good days when I walked with the Lord and things were going the way they should. And um, to remember those things, because that's what brings me back from the bad days. When I don't do so well that day, I remember the good days and I compare. What's the difference? What did I do differently? Well, you got in the flesh. You, you didn't have your quiet time. You weren't reading the Bible faithfully like you, like you used to. You, you weren't at church or you weren't uh, studying with friends or uh, talking about the Lord with people. You, you, you're talking more about the flesh and the world's worldly things than you are about the things of God. You're not dwelling on those things that are lovely, pure, and all the, oh, oh, and you remember, I'm not doing those things I used to do. And so you get back to those things. And so that's what these chapters are about, to encourage us in, uh, there's victory to be had, um, but there's a way to go about it. In verse one, after this, after the things we just talked about and went over, David's uh, bringing the ark back in the time of worship. After this, it came to pass that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them and took Gath and its towns from the hand of the Philistines. Then he defeated Moab. So there's two groups already. And the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. And David defeated Hadadezer, the king of Zobar, 
or Zobah, as far as Hamath, as he went to establish his power by the river Euphrates. David took from him 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he uh, spared enough of them for 100 chariots. He only kept 100 of those that he captured. The rest were turned into farm animals, basically, not, not useful for war anymore. David has victory three different times. It says to the river Euphrates, this is the, the pinnacle of uh, geographic territory that Israel's going to hold. God had promised them all this land, and they never really did occupy all the land that God promised them. It's in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of uh, Egypt, the Nile, to the great river Euphrates. And you can look at that on a map and see how big a swath of land that is. Well, today we just read he's gotten all the way to Euphrates. He hasn't gone the other way and hasn't got all of it. But this is his most, this is the most land they'll ever conquer. And, and who knows if all these people in these three chapters had stayed walking with the Lord, focused on the enemy and not fighting amongst themselves, they may have conquered all the land eventually, but they didn't. They didn't. But we don't want to go there. That hasn't happened yet. The good news is he's conquering. David's always been a nationalist. He's always been someone who knows that his mission in life is to take care of the nation of Israel. He's always felt that shepherd instinct in him, even from when he was a little boy. Watching the sheep outside, doing his job. But for him, it was taking care of Israel's sheep, his dad's sheep, you know, and, and, and making sure that they're cared for and, and protected. Maybe even pretending in his mind as he took on the wild animals that would try to tear up these sheep that if I was king, here's what I would do to... Well, then he got the opportunity as he takes bread and cheese up to the battle where his brothers were and he sees this uncircumcised Philistine mouthing off to the entire nation of Israel, his people, although they don't know it yet, you know. And he jokes to his brothers and says, what in the world's going on with the... Why isn't somebody shutting him up? That's a paraphrase. The Bible doesn't say that, but that's what he meant. Why is this guy still talking? Why is his head still attached to his body? Was what David was thinking. And they all, oh, yeah, you're just a young kid. You're full of, you know, bravado and, 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 and all. You, you, you don't even know what you're talking about. Be quiet and go back to taking care of those little sheep, his brother said. He goes, okay, you guys aren't listening. So eventually he gets his little sling and his stone out, and he goes out there and says, I'll fight you. And he takes out this guy. And then he goes back to watching sheep. He's always had that instinct, though, no matter where he was. I don't have to have the position. I don't have to have the recognition. All I know is that there's somebody that is coming against my people. And, and oh, that all the nation of Israel had had his heart and at that battle, you know. They, they were encouraged by it. They did pick up their arms. They did go fight only because he led the way by an example, by way of example. Well, now he's back at it again. Saul has been taken out. David is the king. He's established his authority. Everybody understands that. Most of his mighty men have that same heart, and they're winning. They're conquering ground. They're not on the defensive anymore. They're not avoiding the Philistines. They're not just trying to stay quiet and and humble and lowly so that they don't draw attention to themselves. And maybe these Philistines won't look at me. Now they're actively seeking them out to conquer ground. 
I have days like that. There are days when I go out and I actively seek to conquer ground for the Lord, and there are days that I'd rather just not, you know? And those are embarrassing and shameful days in my life where I don't think about the things of God, where I'm not on the offensive, I'm on the defensive. I don't see myself as someone who needs to lead anybody anywhere. But those are few and far between, I hope. But when they do come, it's, it's embarrassing to myself. Nobody else recognizes it. For the most part, they think I'm on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I'm not. But I know it. I know it in my heart when my heart's not into it. David's heart's into it. His administration is into it. And I think that's such a great word. That word administration, David's administration. We talk about administrations a lot nowadays and new administrations and old administrations and another four years of a current administration or get rid of this administration. But that word comes up a lot. I think about the administration that we all belong to as we were singing songs to our king and to remind myself that I'm of the administration of Jesus. I'm not a chief of staff necessarily, but I'm definitely in the war room. I'm definitely in the situation room when things go down. We're definitely called to be a part of his administration. I think of all the press secretaries of the past. It doesn't matter which president. Can you imagine being just a press secretary for whoever? Putting yourself out there and standing in front of a a bunch of jackals out there that would just love to eat you alive. And having all your ducks in a row so that when they do try to eat you, you can quiet them down and shut them up with some facts or, or whatever it is and still have that same confidence. Every si- You get a stomachache thinking about, can you imagine what that's like 30 minutes prior to going out into that room every single day or whenever it happens? For anybody, it doesn't have to be our current or past. Well, that's what we're called to do as Christians. I'm called to be prepared I'm called to meet the enemy at the gates. I'm called to stand up and get peppered with those questions from unbelievers and from people that would love to bite and devour Jesus and his administration or in his kingdom. And I need to have that boldness, that confidence to be able to do the things that what I see a worldly person do for another worldly person, certainly as a Christian, I ought to be able to do for the king of the universe who saved me. Something about the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. That the, the church is attacking the gates of hell. We, we, we like to think of it the other way around. The gates of hell can't prevail against the church like they're coming at us, but gates don't move. Gates are meant to protect their kingdom. The gates are meant to keep us out, but they won't prevail. The gates of hell won't prevail against his church. The church is meant to be on the offensive all the time. And to break through those gates and to snatch souls and pull them out of there and do jailbreaks, you know. Anyway, David's administration is, well, they're on fire because they've got their eyes looking up. They're doing things for David, not for themselves. They're doing things for their nation, not for themselves. They're doing things for God, not for themselves. Verse 5, then the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer because he was losing, king of Zobah. David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. 
I like the way he puts that, preserved. Kept him safe. Because David had a tendency to throw himself into harm's way. We've talked about that in the past. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go fight a giant. You better show up, God. You know, And so God preserves David from being pummeled by this guy that's twice his size. Or a lion, or a bear, or whatever it is that David was fighting against. God was constantly having to preserve David. You know? There he goes. Guys, where are you? Catch up. <laughs> David's running into battle again, and the angels surround him, or whatever happens spiritually. Preserves him wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hedadezer and brought them to Jerusalem, also from Tibhath and from Chun, cities of Hadadezer. David brought a large amount of bronze with which Solomon made the bronze sea and pillars and the articles of bronze. And so we see him beginning to collect items for the temple that he couldn't build, but his son was going to be able to build. Um, all these things are coming from the enemy. I like that. They didn't go mine it. They didn't go get it for themselves. They had so much iron, bronze, gold, silver, all these things from doing what they were supposed to do. They had enough to then build the temple of God out of the victories they had for God. I just can't go out into the battle, not till I've got my shield made and I got to make my sword. And I, and God's like, why don't you just go to battle and beat somebody up and take theirs? Why don't you just get in the fight? You know, you don't have to make it. It's already made. Just take it out of that guy's hand over there. Sometimes the best way to get yourself geared up and prepared is to go forward, to be on the offensive. When you're constantly on the defensive, nothing gets done. You're just holding ground, you know? David begins to pick up all the stuff he needs from his enemies. Interesting proverb, Proverb 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I hope I do. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. I've always loved that verse. How come all these bad guys are getting ahead and making so much money doing this? Eh, don't worry, when they die, it's all going to good causes. It's just a bank for the Red Cross, or it's just a bank for whatever. That's what's happening here as David goes on the offensive and begins to do what he's called to do, not worrying about how am I going to get the gold, the bronze. I'm just going to beat God's enemies back. I'm going to preserve and protect the nation of Israel like I'm called to do. And all of a sudden, this stuff begins to show up for what was on his heart earlier. He's got to turn around once in a while, look at the treasure room and say, my goodness, where'd all this stuff come from? Came from you just doing what you were called to do the next day. Oh, well, that's handy, you know? That's how God works. It's a beautiful thing. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine and those around you will get saved. I want everybody to get saved. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine. And those around you will get saved. Oh. You worry about doing what God wants you to do, and I'll take care of all the rest, he says. I'll take care of all these things. All these things I'll add to you. Now, when Tau, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, king of Zobah, he sent Hadoram, his son, to King David, to greet him and bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him, for Hadadezer had been at war with Tau. And 
Hadoram uh, brought with him all kinds of articles of gold, silver, and bronze. King David also dedicated those to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold that he had brought from all these nations, from Edom, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, and from Amalek. So not only did he get it in wartime, he got it as people just, thanks for what you did. I, I was just really defending Israel. Yeah, I know, but, you know, when we have mutual enemies, it benefits me, you know. So thanks for beating up one of my guys that was trying to beat me up. Here's some gold and silver. I guess put it with the rest of this stuff. This is going well, David's got to think, you know. I love that. It's a wonderful thing to see things falling into places they should. David wasn't seeking out the gold. He wasn't seeking out the bronze, the silver. He wasn't trying to bring about some master plan. In fact, if he was, he'd be actually be in violation of what God told him to do. I, I, you can't build the temple, David. He just told him that. I'm not building it, but I can't help it if the supplies keep coming in. You know, I'm just warehousing them. And God is honoring that and giving him victory. He loves this. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zeruai, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He also put garrisons in Edom, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. There it is again keeping him safe and protecting him so he can continue to do it. Man, when you're a useful tool in God's hands, you get oiled, you get taken care of, you get sharpened. It's just how it is. David is being preserved. I think uh, David Spencer, I remember doing the, you remember doing the rebar for this floor? I think Mick was, you were here doing it too. And we had to do the wire ties, you know, and I, you know, we didn't have the cool stuff or didn't even know because I'm not a concrete guy at all. And so I'm taking the wire and I'm doing this, you know, and maybe you don't know what that is. You get the big rebar like this. So you got to tie these, you know, with wire so that they don't split apart and they stay at the right height. So when the concrete's poured, the rebar's right in the middle. Who cares? Well, it's important because David whips out this tool. David Spencer whips out this wooden handled old, you know, old wooden tool with a little metal and a hook on it. And he had these little wires that had loops on the end of them. And he'd grab it and pin it and then spin, spin, spin. And it just tied these things up slick. In fact, if he spun it just enough times, it would break off after it spun around so many times. And he was so much faster. I have that tool. I never gave it back to him. <laughs> I still have that tool. He had to buy another one, I'm sure, because I didn't know I had it. But I looked, I found it the other day. I'm like, well, if I ever need to tie a rebar together... The point of it being, this tool was well-worn. This tool had been used, it had been oiled, it didn't squeak, there was no rust. Even the wood had been permeated. You can tell when wood's been handled a lot, and it's got the oil of someone's skin into it and all that. It's, it's just preserved. You, you could leave it out in the rain if you wanted to, and it won't rust. Anyway, that's what it was. I kind of see David as that dumb little hook thing. Boy, it's handy. Boy, I take care of it. Boy, I remember where it, unless someone steals it like JD does, does but, but boy, that's a handy tool. David's a handy tool. I want to be a handy tool in God's kingdom. I want to have that permeating me, the, the oil of God's hand on my life because he's used me so much. Yeah, I might be a little worn, you know. But hopefully that got off all the metal burrs that were on for manufacturing, you know, and maybe that took off. I don't know. Maybe, sometimes tools get better the more you use them. They get 
more handy. Anyway, I want to be that tool. David is that kind of guy. So David reigned over all Israel and administered judgment and justice to all his people. So not only is he doing the job of protecting the people, he's also being a good ruler inside the community, telling people, you know, giving them the judgments and, and so on, and um, passing judgments and, and, and helping people have justice in their lives. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jo- Jehoshaphat, the son of um, Ahilud, uh, was recorder. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, uh, and Abimelech, the son of Abiathar, were the priest. Shabshah was the scribe. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Kishites and the Pelethites. They were kind of mercenaries. They're an interesting group of guys. And uh, I, I read from all the commentary, because these guys aren't Israeli, but they're the closest guys to David, his protective entourage, basically. And the, all the guys say, all the commentators say, it's because he could trust them more than he could the other tribes, because the other tribes were so tribal. They never knew what they were thinking about David, or whether they thought David should be on the throne, or or maybe one of their guys should be on it. So he had these... Uh, Carathites and these Pelethites that are more like mercenaries. They're from other countries, but um, boy, they were loyal to David. They're just super loyal. And you never had to worry about them. And David's sons were the chief ministers at the king's side. So he's got this wonderful administration of folks just focused on Jesus and doing what they're called to do. Now, chapter 19 has been taught in 2 Samuel 10, 1 through 19, remembering Chronicles, a lot of these things are stories that we've already gone over, but they're worth going over again. It happened after this, after all this success, that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David's heart on the matter is to send, hey, I heard your dad died, sorry about that, to send a um, ambassadors on behalf of Israel to, you know, comfort them. And that's kind of what you do as a statesman. Uh, you, you recognize the loss. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanan, the land of the people of Ammon, to comfort him. And you would come without weapons. You would show up. I mean, they knew why you were there. You were dressed for a funeral, you know, um, and they would know this. Well, verse 3, instead of taking it at face value, instead of just receiving what David was offering them, they got to thinking. And that's a, there's a whole theme of this, imaginations of the heart in the scriptures. And you really don't find it in any other version but the King James Version, the New King James Version. I remember growing up and learning the, the verse um, that uh, vain imaginations, just that term, vain imaginations, was used a lot as I was growing up in the Lord. And I never knew where that was, so you try to look it up, and you can't find it in the New It's just not there. Um, and so I looked it up under King James, because I knew the pastor was a King James guy, when, and I looked it up. Oh, my goodness, there's 120 verses with that word imagination in there. They changed it. It doesn't mean they, they got rid of it, but they changed the word in such a way that I couldn't recall it. Okay, so that being said, I looked up some of these imaginations of the heart. Boy, it's one of the biggest enemies we have, is the imagination of the heart. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's something made up in your heart that isn't true. It's not reality. It's something that you've conjured up. And in some cases have conjured it up and molded over and, and rehashed it and reworked it so many times that you think it is reality. 
when nothing's actually happened. And this is a great example of that. David has just sent ambassadors to comfort this guy because his dad's dead. It's a, it's a show of honor. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, do you think David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search out or to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Yeah, it's an imagination of the heart. That hasn't happened. Um, Boy, I'm guilty of that. Boy, I always second guess and wonder what the real motivation is or I wonder what they meant by that. I mean, I don't do it all the time, but I fit this bill a lot. I think about my past and I think about some of the things that I think people think about me or have said, but I never heard it or never, never really was said. Well, I got the sense, I got the feeling, and I don't know, somewhere along the line, maybe in the imagination of your heart, you could even justify it by saying, I believe that's of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit showed me that. Did he? Or did you make it up and you just made that part up too, you know? And it puts a whole new light on the Scripture. Love believes all things. I don't know what your heart is. Maybe you are trying to subtly tell me something, but if I'm going to follow these passages and put them into practice in my life, then I'm not going to let the imagination of my heart get the better of me. I'm going to take those thoughts captive. We'll go over scriptures that cover that. And I'm going to believe all things. And so if you want me to get a, get your drift, you best be blunt about it. Because I'm going to be so enthralled with your affection and love for me that I have no idea that you're actually mad at me. You know, that, uh, what do they call that? Um, passive aggressiveness. It just won't work. Like, well, thank you. Thank you for giving me all that money. I appreciate it. Well, I didn't really want you to take it. Well, you shouldn't have offered it then. Thanks. Next time, you know, I get, you know, I, I just love believes all things. Now, look what they do with this. Do you think he's really come to honor you? Well, I did and, until you whispered in my ear and I listened to you. And he does. He listens to his advisors. Therefore, Hannah took David's servants, shaved them, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. Then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. They were completely shamed. Completely shamed shaving off the beard and cutting off their clothes so they didn't have any. I mean, that was easy. Go make some new ones or go bring them some ephods or whatever or get some clothes for these guys. But as far as the beard growing back, David's mighty men or his ambassadors coming back shamed like that. Now you guys just say in Jericho until it grows back, then show up when you got your beard. You don't. Hmm. Now David's got to be thinking about this. So here's some verses. That are, uh, and I didn't get, I didn't write down 120. You're welcome. Um, but I got a lot of them. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. We know that verse. But in King James, it puts that word imagination there. In other words, they were just conjuring and thinking up evil. Jeremiah eleven eight. Tons of them in Jeremiah. 
There's a few of them. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did, did them not. Jeremiah 13.10, This evil people, which refuses to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their hearts, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle, which is good for nothing. Jeremiah 18.12, And they said, There is no hope, but we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart over and over and over again. We're going to do what we want, what we've come up with. It's not reality. It's not truth. It's something I've made up. And it tells me as we go through so many of these verses that my heart has a propensity to have evil imaginations. It just does. And without the Holy Spirit, and without constant attention, my body, my flesh, my soul, my spirit needs constant spiritual attention. That's why we read every day. That's why we study. That's why we fellowship together and sing songs together and, and, and worship God repeatedly as often as we can. We have communion. We remind ourselves because it needs constant attention. Because without that pushback spiritually, this is, this is where we head. The imaginations of our heart just naturally carry us to sin. Romans 1, 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. In other words, they became their own God. Their imaginations were, there is no God, it's us. So here's the solution. 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do that verse. Do that verse. Don't hear it this morning like James would say. Don't be hearers of that verse. Do that verse. Pull those, pull those thoughts into the obedience of Christ. That's not true. Sometimes you have to say it out loud. What I'm thinking is not true. And then you go to the truth and you fill your mind and your heart with truth. This morning we're getting truth. You know, God's word is truth. We sang songs about Jesus. He is truth. Um, I'm, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is truth. Cast down those imaginations and, you know, cast them down. <laughs> That's not very impressive. I wish I had something harder and more meaningful to throw down, but I walked out of the bathroom with my towel because I didn't want anybody to get infected with COVID or something. So casting down these things, that's... Those imaginations literally have to be, I have to recognize, first of all, that it is an imagination. I think that's our first thing. This is coming from myself. That's not what they said. That is not what they said. That's not what my wife said. That's not what my husband said. That's not what my friend said. What they said was, and sometimes you have to repeat it out loud, I need to cut the grass. You know, They're not saying I'm a horrible person. They're not saying that what, they just asked me to cut the grass. That's all it was meant to be. Otherwise, I'm a pretty great guy in their mind, you know? And I, I bring that up because it's a silly thing, but I need to cast down the imaginations that aren't from God, that aren't the truth, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
and bring it into captivity. Own it, grab it, have authority over it. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do that verse. Well, they don't. And they know it. It says, when the people of Ammon saw that they made themselves repulsive to David, that's an admission of guilt. Why would they care if they made, him, made themselves repulsive to David if what they still thought David was doing was to spy them out? In other words, they've come to the conclusion they were wrong because David doesn't come right out and fight them. David doesn't say, oh, they figured out who our spies were. Let's go in and take them while we can. He just goes home and says, okay, okay. I see you're upset about the loss of your dad and all, and maybe I wasn't clear. Maybe I sent too many guys. Maybe you thought it was a war party. We don't know what David was thinking, but we know he didn't follow up with spears and swords. How dare you? He said, well, he's upset. Okay, guys, you stay over there till your beards grow back. That was weird. Here's some clothes. Knowing that they had done this, made themselves repulsive, they went and apologized to David and said, we're sorry, we misunderstood you. This is what they should have done. And I really thought you were out to get us. I apologize for that. Can we, you know, what can we do to make this right? No, they didn't. Instead, they sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syrian Machah, and from Zobah, so they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots and the king of Mecca and his people who came and encamped before Medaba. Also the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. They started their own fight. And it wasn't even what it was about. I mean, talk about vain imaginations getting the better of you and getting yourself into trouble. And, and now you're going to lose and Anywhere along the line, when you realize you've had the imagination of the heart and it's got the better of you, just first of all, grab it, pull it captive, and cast it down. But then go try to make it right. If you've been verbal about it, now maybe it's been in your head the whole time. I think you're okay then at that point. Just stop thinking that way and then maybe engage that person and say, hey, really appreciated the card you sent. I really appreciated this or that. Um, you may not have to apologize because you haven't done anything overt towards them in response to what you perceived as a threat, you know. But if you have, you need to go make it right. If you've been talking about them behind their back, trying to one-up them or whatever, you need to go apologize and ask for forgiveness. That's not what you meant. That's not what was happening. I took it the wrong way. And then I went and did this. And, oh, man, it's all me, you know. Honestly, if, if that was imaginations of the heart that got it started, believe me, their heart is still in the same place. They'll forgive you. They'll forgive you. And just ask them for that forgiveness. They don't. They double down on it. They get 32,000 chariots and they form battle array. Now, now, when David heard of it, when he heard they had 32,000 chariots and they were getting in battle array for him, he's like, oh, okay, I can't let you destroy my people. Till you figure out you're making this stuff up in your head. When he heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city. And the kings who had come uh, were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best 
and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother. And they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you come and help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Now, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for our cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So far, so good, Joab. I wish he would stay in this place. He's got it down. He's got it right. Hey, we're going to do our best. We're going to have to split our lines, which you don't want to do. You don't want to fight on two fronts, but he's going to have to because they're forward in front of us and behind us. We're going to split up. And if I see you in trouble, I'm going to help you. And if you see me in trouble, man, get over here. And so here we are. But you know what? We're just going to do our best and let God do what he wants to do. And that's all you can do. On a separate note, aside from the imaginations of the heart that have gotten them into this tough situation, that's all you can do in ministry in any way, shape, or form, is you just do the best you can, and you've got to commit the rest to the Lord. One sows, one plants, and and so on, but the increase is God's. That's got to be God's. Whatever grows, grows. Whatever doesn't, doesn't. You can't worry about that. Be of good courage. And let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. That was easy. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai. Well, that was easy. And they entered the city. So Joab went to Jerusalem. All right. Thought we were in trouble. They just kind of ran away. Good. Now, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river. They're going to triple down on it. And Shopak, I think, um, I don't know that it's a F sound or not. The commander of Hedadezer's army went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan and came up came upon them and set up in battle array against them. So when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians and killed um, Shophach, um, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hedadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David, which is all he wanted to begin with. What a complete waste of time. What a complete waste of resources and people. If you live right before the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. It's another proverb. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know how that works all the time, but that's all David was trying to do. Look, I don't need to fight you. I'm sorry your dad died. I remember when you were nice to me, you know, and I'm trying to be nice to you. No, I don't want to fight. Okay, I guess we're fighting. You know, I wanted to just have peace, and we made peace with them. Great. Stop attacking us. Give us our land. Let us live and let us be here. Now, chapter 20 is really short, so we're going to run through it. And it happened in the spring of the year, at the time kings go out to battle, that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now that's temporarily, he comes out after they grab the water um, resources of these towns, and then he comes in and does battle with them. So don't be confused here as it says he stayed home. And at the end of chapter 20, he says he came into Jerusalem from the battle. He stayed while his guys went and captured the water sources. Joab goes and gets David and says, come on out and finish this thing off. And he does. And 
So that's the story. You get it out of Samuel. You don't get it here. And Joab defeated uh, Rabbah and overthrew it. Then David took their king's crown from his head, so he's out in the battle now, and found it to weigh a talent of gold. And there were precious stones in it. And it was set on David's head. Also, he brought out the spoil of the city in great abundance. And he brought out the people who were in it and put them to work with saws, with iron picks, and with axes. So David did to all the cities of the people of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, it happened afterward that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines again, at which time um, Sibachai, um, the Hushathite, killed Sippai, who was one of the sons of the giants, and they were subdued. Okay, I know the names are rough, but these are um, the brothers of Goliath. Okay. So we're seeing giant guys. Okay. So when they say giants, not like really good warriors, but like nine foot guys, big guys. One of them has got 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and foot Kind of weird, some sort of uh, guy. What's in- <laughs> What's interesting about this is this is not David doing this. This is that next generation. Who is this guy? Gezer with the Philistines came out and they fought. And uh, Sippai was one of the sons of the giants and they were subdued. Again, there was war with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, killed uh, Lamai, the brother of Goliath, the, the Gittite. Who, who's that? Who's Lamai? Um, he's just, or not Lamai, but who's Elhanan? He's just one of the younger guys with the shaft whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Yet again, there was war at Gath and there were. Uh, there, where there was a man of great stature with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand, six on each foot. And he also was born to the giant. So um, when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, so this is David's nephew, um, Jonathan, killed him. Not Jonathan, the friend of David, but he obviously it was a nephew. He killed him. He killed this other giant. Uh, what I like about that is the next generation is when you had an entire generation that wouldn't even go out and fight one giant, although there was a bunch of them. Now we got these nephews and these younger guys who had heard about David. It just took that one little shepherd boy. And now they all think they can do it. Who are these guys? You know, I think if David could take out a giant, I could take out a giant and they start doing it. Hello ministry. That's it. I love it. I, we old people need to go out and throw ourselves into some battles and hopefully the young people are watching and they say, well, they can do it. Yes. Old decrepit weirdos like us can do it. Certainly you could do it better. And I hope you do. That is every, I think every generation's hope and heart in the ministry is that the next generation is even more bold, is even more on fire for Jesus Christ than we were and takes greater risks and jumps in and makes God work twice as hard as he had to for us to keep us from dying in the battle, you know, preserving these next generation. Oh, we got to preserve. Oh, these next guys are crazy. You think about the extreme sports. I, I was so proud of being a bungee jumper. I used to talk about it all the time. <laughs> what? A, not a bungee jumper. I did it twice. It's not like I had a career in bungee jumping or something. I don't bungee jumping. Have you seen these sail shoot things that they wear and could jump off a cliff and just go down the side of a cliff with the helmets on? And sometimes they don't make it through the crevice. And 
Crazy stuff, man. Wingsuits. That's what I was trying to think of. Wingsuits. I think of the ministry that way. Bungee jumping. Oh, boy, here I go. Aren't you tied on to something? Yeah. Isn't it kind of bouncy? Yeah. So it's like a bounce house for adults. Okay. We'll not put it that way. Well, we've got these wingsuits where we're not tied to anything, and we're going to jump off the highest cliff we can find and let gravity do its work. You know, sweet ministry. Don't you love it that these guys are going in the middle of these riots and setting up worship sessions? What are you thinking? (laughs) We're going to praise the Lord. Watch out for beer bottles. I know, we're hoping. Uh, You know, good for you. We'll be praying over here in the sanctuary for you, you know. The beautiful sight we saw in the in Washington D.C. this weekend as the prayer was going on, and oh, that is just packed with the believers out there, and so many young believers. And then when the justice got nominated, um, Amy got nominated, and the the people that are out for her were young gals with signs, young gals. I loved it. And one of the signs said the. Um, what, what was it that Feinstein said about her? Um, said that something is with you. It's strong within you. She sounded like Yoda when she said it or something. She'd run across this Amy Justice and she'd said, the dogma is strong in you. You know, like she was some kind of, well, like she was Yoda. Weird. Feinstein's weird. Um, and so these young gals are hoping that the dogma is strong in us too. And I'm like, oh man, look at her go, you know? It was so neat to see the next generation with wingsuits on, spiritually speaking, you know. And I'm looking back saying, yeah, I'm just going to watch and pray for these guys, support them and encourage them. That's what's happening here. Nephews, young guys, just guys, jumping into the battle, fighting these, the remainder of the giants and continuing on. It's a beautiful thing. These were born to the giants in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. David started something for sure, but that next generation is finishing it off. I love it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word, your encouragement, um, the beauty of the next generation, the beauty of the hearts that you've captured already, uh, the youth that are on fire for you and, and, and want to know not about old battles that we've done, but what are the battles you have for them? And God, I pray, and we lift them up to you today as a, as a body of believers. We lift up all these young believers that love you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. That, that they're just looking for giants. They're looking for ways to keep you busy preserving them. And I, God, I pray that you would. First of all, keep their hearts pure. Keep them doctrinally sound, loving you and loving your word and staying strong um, in you, taking heed to themselves and to their doctrine. And I do pray that those around them would get saved, God. I pray they'd have a tremendous harvest. We thank you for that. Lord, bless us as we go today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good rest of the week, you guys. If you need prayer before you go, please come up, and we'll be glad to pray with you.